couple of weeks ago, we started a series of sermons called Life Apps. And the point was to talk about things in our lives that we know, but we may not be putting into practice. This morning, we're going to continue that. And um, I started this series off, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, I showed you some apps from my phone. And I know you've all just been waiting in anticipation to see some more apps for my phone. And so I was going to show you a couple. This is my last page of my phone. As you can see, this is kind of the place that I just kind of stick everything that's in a folder. Uh, apparently, I've got some kind of news alert there. Uh, but in the, in the top row are three game folders apps. One of the best things about the iPhone or, or those devices are the games. And so um, uh, when I open up that, uh, that folder, Games 2 folder, uh, next screen will show you it opens up. And there are all these games there. These are some of the games that I've played, some, uh, some thoughtful games like Sudoku and some that aren't thoughtful like Flick Golf where you just flick it, all right? But up in the top left-hand corner of that is a game that many of you probably recognize. Now, this is the new modern version of Monopoly. How many of you have played Monopoly before, all right? When I was growing up, Monopoly was a big deal. This is the new version. This is one you can play on your phone. You can play with people around you through Wi-Fi connection. You can play with people online. Uh, and it's basic same operation. But what I found out was that it's just not the same. Playing Monopoly on there is not the same as playing Monopoly. See, when I grew up, uh, my brother and I, my brother's five and a half years older than me, and we, during the summer, would... Uh, stay at home because Brian was old enough to keep me once he got to be 14 or 15. And in our neighborhood, everybody just went out and played all day. And it was the kind of thing mom and dad went to work. We went out to play. And as long as we were home for dinner, everything was okay. But on days like this, sometimes when it was going to be rainy or stormy, mom would say, you know what? I'm going to take you to your grandmother's. Now, I lived on the outskirts of the big town of Dyersburg. And so on big rainy days, we would go to in town, my grandmother's house. And on rainy days at my grandmother's house, one of our favorite things to play was the old school Monopoly. All right? Anybody have a game that looked like this at one time? All right? And so uh, this is what we played. Now, here's what I want to tell you about my brother. My brother, who is five and a half years older than me, did not get those lessons in school that told him that he ought to let me win every now and then to build my self-esteem. All right? My brother played Monopoly like the goal was complete and utter domination. Okay? And so he would always get together. We'd start playing. And he would always remind me as we began. We got to choose what we wanted to be. And he said, Lyle, you can be any of the things. You know, there's the dog and the shoe. Nobody wanted to be the shoe, right? The dog and the shoe and the car and all that. And he said, you can be whatever you want to be, Lyle, but I am the top hat because the top dog always wears the top hat, all right? He says, until you beat me, you can't be the top hat. So he was always the top hat and always went for the car. I don't know why. I just liked it. Now, here's what happened when we played. My brother had this strategy and I had a counter strategy. My strategy was I waited to land on the good properties before I bought anything. My brother bought everything he landed on. It didn't matter. Baltic, he landed on it. He did. So he rolled the dice and he'd come to Oriental Avenue and be like, I'm buying Oriental Avenue. And he'd buy Oriental Avenue. And then he'd be up on 
uh, Virginia Avenue, and I'm buying Virginia Avenue. He'd roll again, and he ended up on Kentucky Avenue. And I don't know why anybody would want to buy Kentucky, but he bought Kentucky Avenue. And, you know, just all the way around the board. Where I would roll and land on Vermont and, like, Nobody likes Vermont, right? Let's just keep going. And if I landed on Tennessee, I bought that, of course. But otherwise, I just kept going around the board until I was able to land on the really good things. After my brother had been around the board a couple of times, he had hardly any money. And I still had lots of cash. And so I thought, every time, you think I would learn, but every time I thought, man, I have got him now. And then inevitably, I'd start landing on his property. So I'd land on Marvin Gardens, and I'd land on St. James Place. And then my brother believed in development. And he was okay with residential development, but he really wanted commercial development. And so gradually I would see these things on Vermont Avenue that were hotels. And gradually this Oriental Avenue or... Vermont Avenue or St. Charles Place would have a hotel on it. And I remember that I would always end up landing on those spots. And so St. Charles Place that he bought for $140 with a hotel on it now costs me $750 to stay there. And eventually I would run out of money. And even if I'd landed on those really good properties, Brian would say to me, Lyle, you know that you're going to have to mortgage that property to be able to pay the rent you owe me. And you can mortgage it for 130 but I'll give you 300 right now just to pass it over to me. Strapped for cash, I'd pass it over, and before long, I would be completely bankrupt. Until one day. One day, my strategy worked perfectly. My first time around the board, I landed on Park Place. And I said, I believe I will buy that. Then I rolled two double ones. You know what two spaces are from Park Place? Boardwalk. And I now had Boardwalk and Park Place, and I started my own development phase. And I built a hotel on Boardwalk and Park Place. And I still to this day can look at the expression on my brother's face when he rolled the dice and my hotels were waiting on his occupancy. And I knew what he had in his hand. And as he rolled the dice from Pennsylvania Avenue and he rolled a five. And it's like time stood still for a moment. And that top hat went to Boardwalk Avenue. And I picked up my card and I said, You owe me $2,000. And not a cent less. It was the day I bankrupted my brother. The greatest day in the history of mankind. And I remember slightly or not so slightly, jumping in the air, dancing a little bit, and somehow my finger ended up in my brother's face, and the words, guess who wears the top hat now? 
came out. My grandmother heard the commotion. And she came in to see what in the world was happening. And I said, I beat him, I beat him. And she said, well, good, I'm glad for that. Guess what? Lunch is ready. And then she taught me one of the most important lessons I've ever learned. Because she said to me, all right, the game's over. It's time to pick it all up. And she took the board and she just folded it up like this. She picked it, took it over to the box, and it all went back in as if nothing had ever happened. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about a passage in James. Where in the book of James, the writer says, don't merely listen to the words that you hear. Do it as well. Do what it says. And this is what I want to talk to you about today. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. The life app that I want you to think about today or the application I want you to think about today is simply this. What we're going to talk about today is the desire that God has for us and the need that we have in our own life to live generously. To live generously. And in Matthew chapter 6, what we have is a story from Jesus in the midst of his description of the Sermon on the Mount where he's given this great sermon. He stops for a minute. He's hitting every important subject. He's talked about the law. He's talked about the Beatitudes. He's talked about all of this important stuff about prayer. And he stops for a minute and says, let me talk to you about your stuff. And in chapter 6, verse 19, it says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will devote the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's what I want you to first understand out of this passage of Scripture is that God acknowledges through Jesus that we are all treasure hunters. We all like to go after treasure. And if you wonder about the human condition of treasure hunting, just think about this. How many movies or television shows are about the desire or the need or the search for hidden or lost treasure? You think about that. Think, think of a movie. Here's what I want you to do. In fact, I want you to turn to somebody around you. I want you all together to think of two or three movies that go along with a treasure hunt idea. So think of something that goes with that. And everybody come up with something besides national treasure. All right. Okay. So think of some movies, classics, moderns, contemporary, something that does that. All right, somebody somebody tell me a movie out there. Indiana Jones, all three of them, right? The first one especially, they look for the Ark of the Covenant, okay? What else? Somebody else got one? Yeah, you. Pirates of the Caribbean is about that. Goonies, is it Goonies? There you go. <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean, Goonies. Anybody got anything else out there? Fool's gold, somebody said. Lord of the Rings. There's a lot of stuff, right? One more. 
Treasure Island, all right? Now, here's the thing. We, we did this in Sunday school last week. We talked about treasure, and we were talking about that. And uh, one of our um, intellectual uh, class members said, well, what about romantic comedies? Because they're all about them trying to find the treasure of each other's hearts. Which, you know, in some ways it is about that's pursuit. All right. So here's what here's what Jesus is saying. All right. All of us by nature are treasure hunters. What Jesus tells us here is don't stop being a treasure hunter. Don't stop being somebody that's after treasure. Just don't seek the wrong stuff. And we are all people that seek stuff. We see it, we want it, we buy it, we display it, we insure it, we compare it. We want stuff. In fact, there are over 30,000 self-storage facilities taking up over 1 billion square feet in the United States. Now, this is an industry, the self, you know what I'm talking about, the self-storage industry. It did not exist in the 60s. It's just come about in the last 30 years, 40 years. And here's the thing. It now makes $12 billion annually. Now, to put that in perspective, that's more than the amount of music that's sold every year. Why do we have it? Because we've got too much stuff. Somebody has said that our lives are really lives just looking for boxes to keep all our stuff. That we're always moving, so it's always like we're looking for boxes. And we keep looking for bigger boxes and better boxes and more sturdy boxes and things that we can put other boxes in and different shape boxes. And eventually we come to the place where we have our final box. And everybody says, boy, that's a nice box. And they walk past and go, boy, don't they look natural laying in their box. We want stuff. And what Jesus says is, it's okay to go after stuff, but go after the right stuff. We all have this internal mechanism where we can keep score. I mean, we know what scorekeepers are in sports like baseball. It's by runs and footballs, touchdowns, or the score on the scoreboard. Golf, it's to get the lowest score. But in life, we have this, we have these kind of internal scorekeeping things that go on. We look at people that are above us and we compare ourselves to them. We look at people that are about the same as us and we compare ourselves to them. We look at people that are below us and we compare ourselves to them. And we know instantly kind of on the list where we stand. And we're pretty good at this and we're so good at it, we know how to, how to make it work for us. And so when it comes to financial stuff, we kind of look at the people that are just a little bit above us and we aspire to be that. But when we compare ourselves morally, we look at the people that are a little less than us and we think, well, at least I'm doing better than that. But we have this comparison scorekeeping or even a competing thing where we just try to make sure that we're keeping up with everybody. We're keeping up with the Joneses or we're better than them or we're we're the best at this. And I may not be good at that, but I'm really good at this. And we have this competition thing or even a climbing where we set our goals and we say, my job is to get there or my goal is to get there. And it's not all based on keeping score with our stuff, but our stuff. Is something that helps us. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, do you realize how ridiculous it is to build up a bunch of stuff? He says, you're my follower. He's going to tell them later that if you're my follower, this is not your home. So why are you getting a bunch of stuff here? It'd be like this. Let's say that 
um, you're leaving for vacation this afternoon. And you have really sprung for a nice vacation. And you're going to stay all week at the Motel 6. All right? You've, la- you've, ar- you've already prepaid and everything. And you walk into the Motel 6 and you go, man, I, I mean, who picks out the comforters at these hotels? All right? Man, that comforter is hideous. And I don't like the decorations on the wall. And the paint color in here is terrible. And, man, they got to get some new towels. And that, that couch has been kind of sat on a few too many times. And, I mean, that material, I've got to get. And so you decide, while I'm here this week, I'm going to go spend about $10,000 and redo this room. Now, how smart is that? Not very, right? Why? Why wouldn't you spend $10,000 on your motel room? Because it's not yours and you're staying there a short time. Jesus basically says that our lives is like this 60, 70, 80 years is like the week in the Motel 6. So why are you spending so much to pretty up something you're going to live in for a short time? He says, don't get all your stuff together. Have it all here when it doesn't really matter. You say, well, but I like my stuff. I mean, even that phrase is kind of strange, isn't it? I mean, when a two-year-old looks at something that says mine, we know how ridiculous that is because the two-year-old has no capability whatsoever to go out and buy it or to work for it, that somebody gave them that. And yet when we have our stuff, we don't think it strange at all to say, look at all my stuff. Even though Psalm 24.1 tells us that the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, even though Deuteronomy 8.18 says, Remember the Lord is the one who gave you the ability to produce wealth. Even though Haggai 2.8 is the one that says, The Lord says, Silver is mine, gold is mine. None of it's our stuff. So Jesus says, Why are you building up a bunch of this stuff that moths and rust, thieves break in and steal? You realize that stuff decays, right? That tears up, that it messes up. You realize that. I have a couple of shirts that uh, that I have had since I was in college, okay, which is getting farther away from me than I want it to get, okay. But I, I was in college uh, about 13 years ago, 14 years ago. I bought these shirts, so fifth, let's say for 15 years I've had these shirts. I went. Uh, they're both short sleeve shirts. They're both polo kind of shirts. And so I went in the closet this year. I was going to get one of them. And I got ready and I put it on. And as I stretched my right arm through, I heard. <sighs> and after weeping for about 30 minutes, no, I'm just kidding. I knew, I knew I was on borrowed time, but it lasted 15 years. It's stuff. It's going to decay. It's going to deteriorate. The crazy thing is. How much we like our stuff. You know, one of the questions I get sometimes as a pastor, which is an interesting question, it's, okay, pastor, you talk about tithing, which means giving 10%. Well, is that supposed to, I'm supposed to give 10% on the net or the gross? And the real question they're asking there is, pastor, how much of my money and stuff can I keep and God not get mad? How much can I hold on to here? David, in a passage that we looked at in our Sunday school class last week, said this. He said, I am just flabbergasted. I am amazed that we serve a God that allows us to give this much. Have you ever heard? Let me just tell you this. It has been a long time since a pastor. I've heard somebody come up to me and go, Pastor, 
I just want to know how much I can give. Can you please tell me how much of my total I take in can I give to the church? Because we like our stuff. Here's the thing about stuff. It doesn't last. It's a foolish investment. It's not going to make you free or happy. Here's some famous guys. You may not recognize all of them, but believe me, they were very wealthy. One guy's name is W.H. Vanderbilt. You know that name at all? This is what he said. The care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. J.D. Rockefeller. Ever heard of Rockefeller Center, New York? I have made millions. They have brought me no happiness. A guy named J.J. Astor says, I am the most miserable man on earth. And he was one of the richest. Andrew Carnegie, millionaires seldom smile. Henry Ford, who helped develop the car, the first mass-produced car, I was happier doing a mechanic's job. You see, we live in a culture that tries to convince us that, tries to convince us that more stuff makes us happier and better. And Jesus says, why would you make that kind of investment? It's all going away. It is so inbred in our culture. I'll tell you something interesting. I shared with a couple of people after the first service. I'm sitting here preaching on this, and I'm reading that and giving it all I've got for the preaching. We don't need stuff. Be content with what you have. You don't need the stuff. Don't look for extra stuff. And I said, let's look again at what Jesus said. And as I did say, let's look again at what Jesus said, someone lifted their iPad to look at it. To look at the verse. My thought was, man, that looks nice. Well, it'd be nice to have one of those. While I'm preaching, all right? Now, you don't think God has a sense of humor, okay? So I come up today to preach. I get my podium, and look what's sitting on the podium right here. I don't know whose it is, but if it's not here when you get here, I'm sorry. Um, you think God has... I've shared that story at Sunday school, and I come up here, and there's an iPad with a chart sitting right here, all right? And so... Will it fit in my pocket? No. I'm just talking about how inbred it is in our system to want stuff. So what are we supposed to do with the stuff? We're supposed to use it to extend His kingdom and glorify God. It can help us become rich toward Him. Here's what Jesus said in verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And what he tells them basically is this. The most freeing, joyful life you can have is a life where you're living generously. I want you to look at verse 22 and 23 with me. And then we're going to close. In verse 22, he says, The eyes, the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And I remember hearing that as a youth, and I remember teaching that. And I, I remember sometimes taking that out of the context and talking about, see, it's all about what you're looking at. It's all about what you're visualizing. It's all about what you're watching. Even talking about what, you know, the old phrase, garbage in, garbage out. You've got to make sure your eyes are focusing on good things. Even thinking about that passage where Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, you'd better to poke it out than to keep on sinning. And yet I forgot to realize in the midst of that, it's not in a discussion of sexual immorality or living a pure life or any of that. It's in the midst of a discussion about money. And then I went and looked up those two words, the words good and bad. And you think, well, they mean good and bad. They do. 
But in the original language, when they were put, especially with eyes, they carried this kind of um, special meaning. And what it ought to be translated better is this. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are generous, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are stingy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And what Jesus says to them in this moment, and what he'll say throughout the New Testament, is that how you deal with your stuff says a whole lot about how you're living with the Lord. And he says, you need to live generously.